0: Using a side lane around uh, what looked like a uh on, no! He's gets his head down, He's in a time trial position. This is the domestics presented by watching Shakespeare.
1: Hello again from wherever you're listening and uh you're tuned in to the domestiques as the Tour de France enters its second week of competition. I'm Mike Tomolaris. It's great to have you along. And if you're listening for the first time, please tell us where you are and why you choose to listen to the world's best podcast devoted to the world's biggest event of the year. Matilda Reynolds is with us, as per usual, all the way from the Long White Cloud in New Zealand. Hello to you, Tills.
0: Hi, Mike. And it looks like we've uh, gotten a very worthy replacement uh, on the podcast. I'm not sure how we afforded it. He's got much better hair, much better looking and seems to, <laughs> just even from the visual, be a lot quicker than uh, usually the Lee Hollywood-Turner who would be joining us.
1: Well, Lee Hollywood-Turner is not turning it, uh, joining us. Um, but uh, before we introduce our guest, and I've got a big build up for our very special guest, I've just got to mention the fact that the domestiques, um, is brought to you by Honan Insurance Group and also Black Sheep Cycling Apparel. And in today's uh, episode, we will preview week two later in the program. Uh, But the big question, I guess, is um, how will this race unfold? Will Jonas Vingergaard continue his reign in the yellow jersey? Will the Pog assume control as the Tour makes its way to the Alps? Uh, What about the Aussie, Jai Hindley? Can he make it all the way to Paris and stand on the podium on the Champs-Elysees. We'll try to answer those questions and much, much more. Okay, the big build-up for our very special guest. Here are a few clues. He started his career, and this is when I met him for the very first time, on the Velodrome, and he was a very young, fresh-faced champion track cyclist. He turned professional when joining FDJ 20 years ago. I can't believe it's 20 years ago. He wore the colors of Credit Agricole for a period of time, but I guess our special guest made a name for himself when linking up with Mark Cavendish at uh, for the first time, I think it was the first time, Team Columbia High Road around 2009. And that's when the success started to develop. They formed one of the most decorated and most successful partnerships in world cycling. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, give it up for Bathurst's favourite son, Mark (laughs) Renshaw. Yes, How's that, Marco?
2: No, not bad, not bad. You've got Bathurst in there too, so you're proud of that. <laughs> well, you <laughs> well you know lead what out man I reckon in the
1: world. <laughs> can I just say
2: that man in Bathurst.
1: can I just say I reckon I, I might be biased, but I reckon you've done more for Bathurst than the late great Peter Brock ever did. But you
2: know uh, that's a that's a big call. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Peter, so I'll uh, I'll let him be the king of the mountain and yeah, for now I'll just uh as uh Peter Coglo did call me the Bathurst Bulldog but he was probably the only person that ever called me that so I'm happy just actually I was in Orange Orange
1: on the weekend and I drove past your shop uh the pedal what is it the pedal
2: Renshaw's pedal
1: project pedal project and I I can vouch that the bins are in and the mail has been cleared excellent you didn't go past
2: Lithgow as well did you
1: I did go past Lithgow. Why?
2: The boys in Lithgow, they're normally a bit slack, but they're not bad. So the the shop in Lithgow is a little bit smaller than Bathurst, but uh, they're a little bit more slacker there.
1: Okay. Well, listen, Mark, it's great to have you along on the podcast. I've been trying to get you for a few days, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You're back in France, and as we all know, you're working with the Astana team. More specifically, uh, you were hired, I guess, or correct me if I'm wrong, to rejoin the partnership with Mark Cavendish in a different sort of way. But Cav, of course, we all know now that he crashed out in, in rather heartbreaking circumstances during stage nine. But tell us, uh, what's your role now with Astana for the rest of the tour, given that the, the Cav uh, is out uh, because of uh, his unfortunate withdrawal?
2: Yeah, so the role they, they brought me on as is that um, sprint lead out advisor. And obviously, it was tailored more around Cav. Um, but in saying that, You know, once, you know, Cav went home and looked to to fix, you know, these broken collarbone and fix everything else up there, they've still got a good rider in in Case Bowl, uh, Gianni Moscon, who was brought in as kind of in that lead-out train. And, um, you know, Sanchez was also here, but he broke his collarbone early on as well. So Mm. it's been a hard tour so far. And my role predominantly now will be looking after Case Bowl and really preparing. Um, you know, tomorrow's a imminent sprint stage, but apart from that, really, um, you know, I, I've taken on a, it's, it's a nice role within the team. So they have me do a lot of the team meeting alongside the current directors. Um, you know, their English is, um, you know, in, English as my first language. becomes comes really easy. So that a lot of the team speak English. So just trying to bring another element towards, you know, or another element from my experience. Uh, being in sprint trains and, and working more predominantly in sprinting, whereas Team Astana traditionally is a GC-orientated uh, orient, team. You know, they've they've won, I think, anywhere from nine Grand Tours over the last nine years, um, you know, with Vinokurov and Nibali and Armstrong and Contador. You know, they've had some amazing names who have won GC battles, um, but never really on that sprint sense.
0: And, Mark... Um... If I think about just the current era, um, maybe I'd put similar names to yourself, like maybe Danny Van Poppel or maybe Tim De Clerc or you know even uh, Matthew Vanderpoel is showing himself to be an incredible lead out rider. What is it that actually makes a good lead out rider? And like how how is it that you can try to advise when Mark was there? Obviously, Case Ball was brought into that team to be a, that to fill that specific role, like it's the difference between being a sprinter and a lead-out rider. What is that and what makes it one successful?
2: Yeah, the sprint and lead-out, they're they're pretty much the same make and same build, but uh, very different, maybe in mindset and uh, ultimately the job at hand. So the lead-out is all about positioning the sprinter inside the final. and like deep into the final so we're talking like anywhere up to about 250 meters to go but uh it's it's not the whole job inside one k to 250 that's also you know all the kilometers before the final kilometer so you know a lot of the time in my career it was making the, the final decisions on the road inside the final 20 to 30 kilometers of the race and also um you know keeping cav and whoever the sprinter is out of the wind Yeah, throughout the whole stage. So basically, just being a little bit of a bodyguard for that whole stage, um, looking after the sprinter as best as possible, as well as yourself, uh, because ultimately, if you get to the finish and you can't put them in the best position, it does fall on your shoulders. So there's a lot of responsibility there because, you know, when the sprinter puts all the confidence in you, um, you have to deliver. So a lot of the time, some of the names you've mentioned have, have had a really good tour uh here obviously vanderpool's been you know head and shoulders above the rest uh especially in the first three sprints he's really um you know delivered uh you know the team perfectly he had a couple of run-ins there he, he kind of got scrubbed there one day for for moving girame out of the way mm. so you know it's just part and parcel of the game and um for now yeah he's probably been the best in the tour so far but on in hindsight we actually haven't seen jakobsen do a sprint so, more
1: costs have to prove himself. Mm. Hey, listen, ha- how is Cav? I mean, uh, we saw how disappointed, obviously, he was when he crashed out, and so were we as spectators, as followers of Cavendish. He's got a lot of fans around the world. Um, and look, he- he's put on a brave face in the days after, smiling, he's got that uh, incredible set of teeth <laughs> when he smiles. But look, tell us, you know him better than most. How disappointed is he, you know, three or four days on?
2: Um, look, I, I'd say it was two part disappointment because firstly, if we rewind to the stage where he was second, um, Mm. you know, he was absolutely gutted, you know, to, by the time he got to the bus with me, um, he was, yeah, he was still fuming at that point, but you know, when he, once he got on the bus, it was like, (laughs) you could see the seven stages, like (laughs) it was anger. And then on the bus, you know, completely empty. Because, you know, just come so close, um, but be so far from that mm. 35th victory. And, you know, there's a lot of things could have happened. You can analyse it as much as you, you want. And then, um, you know, I didn't think things could get much lower than that, really. <laughs> finishing second, you know, so close, but so far. And then the next day, uh, you know, what happened? He, You know, he crashed over the top of the wheels and, and went down really hard on his, on his right collarbone. Um, has previously been operated on from the Tour de France in Harrogate, so um, it's it's a real mess. And then, yeah, I, I can't speak for him, but I know the whole team were devastated. I was devastated, so I can only imagine how he's feeling.
1: Yeah, hmm. uh, exactly right. But look, the, the rumours about him coming back next year, being offered a one-year contract, is he done and dusted? Oh, Is he finished?
2: I, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, I, I said to him, uh, I said to him, don't even think about anything. Just go home with your family. Um, you know, he's got a, from what I've heard and what I've been told, a very complicated surgery coming up, um, oh. which needs to be probably the first priority before you even think about stepping back onto a bike because, you know, that kind of injury and surgery could implicate, you know, after the bike. <laughs> so you need to get these things sorted out. Um and this is this are the things that people maybe don't take into account but it's not like we're just gonna throw a couple of screws in the collarbone and off he goes. Um so this is, you know, the second time he's really come down hard on that collarbone. Uh but in saying that it yeah, it is an operation that he needs to recover from and when the time's right, I'm sure he'll make that decision. But for the moment I definitely I'm definitely not asking him those questions um, and and everyone can speculate as much as possible, but I think alongside his family uh, and his doctors, he'll make that decision. But, um, you know, from what we've seen so far, I yeah, it'll, I don't know, it'd have to be a, it'd be a huge call to come back.
0: Because, Mark, it's not that, just that simple, like going another year because he's been going for so long through so many eras, you know, the fact that he's, he, you know, it's not Eddie Merckx's record. It is Mark Cavendish's record as well that he's, he's trying to, to beat. And um, over such, like, 13 years or so or more, like, that he's, you know, been, been winning. And um, you would know better than most of what that behind the scenes look like. Like, you know, I'm sure he's made promises to his family that he'll be around for, sco- you know, school holidays. Um, he's probably already got a contract with GCN. Um, you know, he was already thinking about life after and then Astana have also, you know, they potentially tried to build a team behind him. You know, that behind the scenes, what has that looked like at Astana trying to build behind Mike for the year?
2: Yeah, I think you have to remember that he, you know, Vino really threw him a lifeline late, late, late. It was already January before this mm. kind of contract came to fruition. And yeah. um, it's, com- contracts are complicated. And the bigger rider you are, the older you are, the more complicated it gets. Um, It's not even about money sometimes. It's about, you know, do I get the opportunity to go to the tour? Because why continue if you can't come to the tour? So, you know, to to ask a team of that, it's it's not simple just to say, yeah, we're going to sign you, we're going to take you to the tour because there's always other leaders and other riders in the team who are, you know, deserving of those spots as well. So by the time he kind of came onto Astana, it was quite late. Um, you know, to bring him on they had to move one of their other riders back into the, you know, under twenty three fold, which is, you know, already you're starting to to break promises there to other riders, which is not easy to do. Um and then, you know, they slowly started to build the time the team, they picked the riders. Um, Case Bowl was always, you know, destined to stay with Cav. They'd made that agreement. Um and yeah, it, You know, the build-up wasn't perfect. He didn't race a lot with Case, um, but he did the Giro, as preparation, got through that sick end with a stage win, which was amazing. Um, So mentally, he was in a really good place in June. uh, Case was in a really good place doing his race program, and then it was just a matter of coming to the Tour and and sitting down and working through strategies and how we were going to go about facing and how we're going to try and, you know, take a victory, which is very hard to do when you're up against teams like Dekernik and Quickstep, who have, um, you know, anywhere from four to five riders focused on the sprint. Um, So in the end, you know, we we got there with the riders. Moscon was a a key uh, rider for Cav after doing the Giro together. He felt confident having him. So, you know, it wasn't easy just getting him into the team. There's other riders who, you know, deserve to be here as well. So it's a very difficult decision in in taking a big rider. It's not just a matter of we take Cav and off to the tour we go. Uh, there's a lot yeah. go you know to it.
1: Yeah, wherever uh, Cavendish travels, there's a lot of emotion—not uh, just from uh, from friends, from uh, family, but also from uh, those that support him and follow him and have done so for for more than a decade. Let's talk about Stage Ten, which was held uh, overnight, and it was an emotional victory to the Spanish rider Peyo Bilbao from the Bahrain Victorious team. And he edged past the German uh, Jörg Zimmermann, the German from Intermarché, with a brave Ben O'Connor settling for third place. And I say it was an emotional victory because um, Bilbao's teammate, uh, Gino Mader, well, uh, he's the Swiss rider who crashed and sadly died in the Tour de Suisse last month. And, well, all the tributes and uh, accolades, and um, uh, well, they went to Gino, and uh, it was a very emotional paleo p- when he stepped up onto the podium. You'll you'll probably see that later on in 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 the day. Uh, but what are your thoughts on on the way this uh, race is developing, Mark? Um, and and tell us, uh, are you keeping in touch with the twelve Aussies? All twelve Aussies are still in this race, which is fantastic.
2: Yeah, well, my day to day role doesn't allow me to. Um...
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: cruise through the paddock too much. So, uh, you know, I've still got a, a pretty important job here. So once we get to the race start, we do the, the team meeting, which I'm a big part of, uh, today I was in the second car. So, you know, pretty much looking after case bowl, um, who was, you know, not going to be part of the head of the race. So, um, so my focus was really there and, and on the back end of the race and time limits and all these kind of things um but yeah i i do catch up with a couple of aussies but i haven't had a chance to really had too good you know too much in-depth discussions i was in the hotel with jai hindley yesterday so i did get to catch up with jai for five minutes which was uh you know pretty nice he looks good he looks really good you know he's he's just so fresh young faced at the moment and already 10 days into a grand tour and you know we all know he's had the yellow jersey in one of stage so but you know they they're looking long term uh, rolf aldag their general manager or you know who's running the show here underneath rolf dank is um you know probably i'd say the best in the business so for australia i think they can be pretty happy that Jai is in good hands
0: and mark what does um what does the rest day look like i think Riders and fans, are, are, you know, punters always really curious to know how you spend a rest day because the word rest doesn't actually probably depict what actually happens on, um, you know, a day off from racing.
2: Yeah, it's very controversial a rest day in a pro team and, and amongst riders because certain riders have different beliefs. Um, yesterday, uh, well, the rest day for Astana, it was. Um, the group pretty much got split in two we had uh um, bowl and on do a, a shorter ride of about just under two hours um and then six of the other riders um vino and myself all trundled off for two and a half hours with you know a fairly decent five six minute climb you know just sub threshold and then a you know a couple of 30 second opener efforts so for me it was well over my limit but for the guys here in the race it was just enough to to sweat and open up the legs um, and I think today we definitely saw, um, mm. you know, maybe Group Armour FCJ didn't really do enough riding yesterday because, yep. uh, you know, Gordou on the first climb was in big trouble. Um, mm. You know, I was standing on top of the first climb giving biddens to the guys and he he unblocked towards the middle half of the stage. But, you know, there was alarm bells at, at FCJ there.
1: Hey, Mark, yeah, I'm just... My... Uh... Oh, sorry.
0: Don't worry. You oh. go, Tomo.
1: I'm just scanning the uh, the internet here and uh, I've noticed uh, Walt Van Aert um, has quashed rumours that he's leaving the tour. And uh, just for those trying to keep up, uh, his wife is expecting a baby. And the media are saying, um, and I don't think Wout said it, that uh, he was going to leave the tour if the baby would arrive before the end. I'd like to ask you, Mark, you've got a young family. If you were in a situation where your spouse was about to to deliver a baby, how would you handle the situation? Um, Would you ask to be exempt from Tour de France selection if the baby was due during the month of July?
2: Well, I know the situation pretty good because I had three during the season. The first one, you know, um, I managed to make it back to Australia the day uh, that Will arrived, so I got back to Mudgy two hours to spare or three, four hours. I can't remember exactly. Um, I missed uh, the birth of Ollie by a couple of weeks. So he came early and I was still in uh, Tour of Britain. So Christina was already back in Oz. So I missed Ollie and Maggie. I was racing in Turkey um, and I pulled out two days earlier than the race finished to make sure I got back to to, to Monaco in time. So, you know, if I was Walt Van Aert, I'd already have a hire car or a family member here ready to go once I got the call, and, you know, I'd text the team on the way on the drive back that I've left. So, you know, family come first. Um, Absolutely. But know, family it's... comes
1: first, but why would you um, be in the running for selection if the baby was just, for example, in the first week? It would be unfair on um, the team, wouldn't it?
2: Uh, no, the, I don't think. Walt I, Van think <laughs> I think the baby is not due till after the tour.
1: But, yeah, um, but in situations when it would be due, just say the baby was due or arrived in the first week of the Tour de France, wouldn't that be unfair for the team to to ask for selection or be expected to be selected and then uh, no. be forced to leave?
2: Not probably not for Walt Van Aert, who's you know one of their key riders. Um, he probably he probably holds enough cards in his hand that he can come and go as he pleased whether he was here for one day or two days or the whole tour um you know I think Finagor really needs him in the team um and he's one of their marquee riders so I, I think it would have been a very easy decision for the umbo visma to make sure he was on the start line
0: yeah, 100%. I think you'd take three days of Walt Barnard over three weeks of some other riders. But, um, mm-hmm. Mark, take us inside a little bit um, of today's stage. It actually it looked absolutely filthy. Like, this is a, it looks like a bit of a nightmare stage for... We just touched on the importance of a rest day and how that has changed over the years. Because previously, you know, riders used to rest. And I also think it does speak a lot to FDJ Kru who is still a very traditional team, Probably, you know, Godou was pay- playing Twitch, which he loves, that PlayStation game and, um, you know, eating bread and sitting down. And, you know, it, they came out of the gates so hard. You know, Caleb was dropped with 165k to go or more. Um, so it actually looked like a really hard stage after the rest day. And then tell us about the heat on the ground. How, how, uh, how is the Peloton coping?
2: Yeah, stages like today are always really difficult for everyone in the bunch because they're not just a clear-cut uh, mountain stage where, you know, you, you ride to the bottom, the best riders go. Um, you know, every man for himself holding on to the peloton as long as possible. Um, and as you said, today it was really brutal. Um, you know, the, the climbs weren't super tough. They're always at that 4 or 5%, um, always going up in steps. So, you know, the longer you hold on, the further you get into the race um but there was sprinters kind of going backwards you know from about 10 kilometers into the stage which it 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 always happens but I think the big compounding factor was the heat um you know on on the cat two of the day we had something like 32 degrees uh we were at about 1200 meters altitude so it was quite hot by the time we dropped down into uh into the finish at 700 meters altitude it was close to probably 40 degrees in between the buses once we got there and you could see that, yeah, the riders were were really struggling with that big heat because back in Basque at the start of the tour, it wasn't like we had, you know, extreme heat like that. Um, So it kind of did arrive pretty quick. Um, And I think probably some riders got caught out, you know, with their uh, protocols for fueling during the stage.
0: Because I'm curious how that's going to play out over the next two, three days. And you know that once you have any form of dehydration you can't get it back you can't fill it up like once it's once it's gone you know you sometimes don't see that play out until two three stages later and that one bottle you miss that one gel that ice pack or you just overheat it I I did I was wondering when whether that's what Yumbo Visma were trying to do to Tade Pogacar today just trying to test him out try to again obviously last year he made that mistake about nutrition I yeah, it's just uh, the stages to, to me just keep, seem to not play out how we predict at the moment. Does it feel like that on the tour? Like, is it just. Oh.
2: No, I, th- I think today's stage was just all in racing, um, you know, all out racing, probably a better word for it. Um, I think Yumbo were probably pretty lucky. That best on GC was, was um, Bill Boer on about seven and a half minutes because it probably would have been difficult to control if there was anyone further up on GC. Um, but you know, t- tomorrow's going to be a, a sprint, so they'll have another rest day and then they've got four big days, uh, somewhere in those four big days, they'll start to expose who probably went too deep today and didn't recover in time. Um, but I, in my thoughts. I don't think we'll see either vinegar or uh, Pogachar crack it all over the next three, four days. It'll be in the third week.
1: All right, well, let's focus on the sprints then. Jasper Philipson has proven to be the most outstanding sprinter in this tour. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, is he the best sprinter in the world right now? And with uh, a handful of sprints still to come before the Paris finish, can we assume that he will um, expand on his three-stage wins and maybe uh, clean up? Is that the case? I,
2: I don't know. Um, look, if you looked at victories, he's probably the best at the moment. You know, there's a couple of different ranking systems that you see on social media that um, the Gilco ranking, which is taking into account the rating and, and the ranking and the riders during the race. And it does show that Philpson's number one at the moment. Um, is he the fastest? Probably not. Does he have the strongest team here? Probably does. Um, and who can challenge him then? Well, at the moment, you know, quick stepper in a bad place, um, the Jakobson, you know, really hit the deck hard, hard. Um, and he's suffering every day. He went, you know, case ball told me just at dinner that he did an interview after the stage and started questioning his, you know, start questioning everything about yourself when you're in a stage like today, when you suffer from, you know, kilometer zero to a kilometer, 180. So, you know, he's probably not in the best mental state um caleb. caleb caleb definitely has the legs um but he just hasn't been able to get the the lead out dialed in and the positioning dialed in uh and apart from that yeah there's probably not too many guys who can who can really challenge at the moment mm-hmm. um they just don't have the teams i think that Phillipson has
1: yeah Phillipson potentially could really uh bag a uh a stack of uh, stage wins before this tour is out that's uh, it's not a fear but that's something that uh, could could well and truly happen um yeah no no i
2: agree I, he's, he definitely goes in tomorrow a favorite and then um Bress in the third week is a big opportunity i think for a sprint and then the Chancelis say so this the, in my opinion there's still three sprints left
0: and also, how I, I guess his biggest asset. I have been quite surprised how all in Matthew Vanderpol has gone for Phillips, and I thought there would be potentially one or two more stages that Matthew would have, you know, gone in for himself a little bit more. But he seems very committed to keeping that green jersey within the team, and um, you know, and and leading out Phillipson for these stages.
2: Yeah, no, um, no definitely, he's ridden really well, and he, he's committed one hundred percent, but. Um, for me, it probably shows that his form's not 100%. So I think if we saw Matthew Vanderpool, you know, mm. in top shape, I, I don't think he'd be doing lead outs.
0: can I just ask about, have you seen the world's course at all, Mark? Uh, I, I do wonder whether uh, Vanderpool and Walt, if Walt was to leave, yes, the baby, but possibly an eye on the world's course?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the the world's course kind of compromised. Compromises a course that we did. Uh, we've done a few times in Tour of Britain. I think we also did a, a good section of it. Um, Cab won there pretty much on the same circuit, these national championships a couple of years ago. So it's a circuit a lot of riders know, and it, it's a little bit similar to Wollongong. It's left and right. It's up, down. Just the roads are probably not as nice, um, and it absolutely suits, you know, that, um, you know, have a classic style of rider like Vanderpool and Van Art so those two guys will will already have you know thoughts ahead to the world championships and they're only four basically four weeks away
1: and mark just finally closer to home the nationals now we all know that Buninyong has hosted the nationals uh, for the best part of 20 years and i know that um, well i've been told that uh, there are moves from your neck of the woods bathurst to bring potentially, the national championships to your hometown. Can you give us a little bit of uh, news or goss about how uh, that's developing?
2: I'd, lo- I'd love to. Have <laughs> I put I'd you in a it- spot? I'd love for it to be true, but I just, um, you know, I think, I think Bathurst Council is in a difficult situation at the moment. After losing the Bathurst Cycling Classic, um, I think Oz Cycling – um, probably nearly have their hands tied because it is just easy to run it there. Mm. Um, Ballarat continue to throw a truckload more cash than anyone else can can throw without you know having it for a few years. So yeah, I'd
1: Bathurst... love to say
2: I'd love to say I was working on it, but at the moment there's there's no truth to it.
1: Well, that's a um, shame because I think Bathurst has got the natural infrastructure there with Mount Panorama. You got the rolling hills. It's just perfect, I think.
2: I oh, know it would be, and we could design a beautiful course and maybe even a course that, you know, doesn't have the stock standard, um, you know, result at the end of it, something that maybe the riders would have to think how they're going to race mm-hmm. uh, and get a different style of rider, win the national championships. But uh, in my mind, I, I don't think we're going to see it move just because purely financially, I was Cycling you have to have it there.
1: Yeah, uh, nothing wrong with Bun and Yong. They've done a great job, Ballarat City Council for the last twenty years. But I mean, there are people screaming out for change, uh, move it around. But like you say, Mark, you need cash, and uh, Ballarat, uh, uh, well, they're, they're they're producing the cash each and every year. So you can't argue with the fact that it's uh, it's going to continue.
2: They do, and they, they do a really good job of it. But Absolutely. I just loved. I'd love to see him just change the course, just change yeah. the bloody course.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> same rider every year. <laughs> oh, just yeah. the same style and same. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's always yeah. the same race.
1: Yeah. Mark, yeah, thanks for yeah. joining us. Congratulations on, I guess this is a career change. Is it something that you'll pursue uh, in the future as a consultant for various teams? Is that what you'd oh, like to do look, in July every year?
2: I've done it already a little bit the last couple of years, but. Um, it's a big ask, you know, I've left Christina at home and you know, the kids are really missing me. It's the first time I've been away for more than a you know, a week or so at a time. So it's a big you know, it's a big ask. For the moment I'm just looking forward to getting through the tour and, and get back and I've missed all the school holidays, so mm. I just wanna get home and see the kids. See Christina oh. and just enjoy a you know, the tail end of winter before before spring arrives.
1: Wow. Well, you're better off there, mate. I can tell you it was minus two degrees where I was like on the weekend, it was it was
2: forty this afternoon, and the, the, the <laughs> road was melting. So two opposites.
0: Mark, I hope we do see you back, and and Cavendish. I feel like that second place before he left this makes it even harder it's not like we're talking about a writer who wasn't even in this the, the conversation he was right there ready ready to take mm-hmm. the win but even if he doesn't what you achieved with with Mark and you know uh, um, is was just incredible and your legacy uh, you were with Mark and I, I just remember watching you and leading hours just and yeah amazing so However, it turns out. I think you've you've done an incredible job, and um, I really miss your analysis on SBS. Actually, so um, hopefully, if that doesn't work out, we we still get to see you on our screens breaking down the sprints. <laughs>
1: That'd be good. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for that. Good on you, Mark. Mark Cavendish. Cheers. Mark Cavendish. Mark Renshaw, our very special guest, one of the greats of Aussie cycling, and at the Tour de France, Tills. It's been an absolute delight to have you on. And uh, I, I kind of missed uh, Lee Hollywood-Turner. Maybe he'll be back with us for our next pod.
0: Yeah, but I Maybe feel not. faster just talking to Mark. So, yes, <laughs> it was good. But now we do miss you, <laughs> so Hollywood. We'll, uh, we'll have you back shortly. And, yeah, thanks for everyone's support. If you have any feedback, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And, um, yeah, we'll see you for the following stages.
1: Thanks for listening to The Domestics. Thank you to Honan Insurance Group and uh, also to Black Sheep Cycling Apparel. We'll do it all again very soon. Bye for now.
0: The Domestics.
1: The Domestics by Black Sheep
0: Cycling